coming up on Wrestling Life. I realize I, I can't help every single person out there, but man, I'll tell you, I'm going to go down fighting, helping as many as I possibly can. When death finds me, it's going to find me living. <laughs> Welcome to Wrestling Life with Ben Veal, the show that features real talk from real talent. Hello and welcome to Wrestling Life with Ben Veal. This is the show that's committed to sharing the real stories that lie behind those that have positively shaped wrestling's past, present and future. Thank you so much for joining us today and if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show using our hashtag or social media channels at Wrestling Life Online and the hashtag is Wrestling Life Pod. Joining me today, I'm so pleased to welcome a truly special guest. He is not only a champion in the world of professional wrestling, he's also the founder of not-for-profit organization Champion of Choices and is mission-led to inspire young people to dream big and live with purpose. My guest today is a former WCW superstar, a WWF Intercontinental Champion, an accomplished amateur boxer and is now America's number one school presenter, a very warm welcome to Wrestling Life to the show today. It is the one, the only, Mark Mero. Mark, welcome to the show. How are you? Oh, Ben, thank you for having me, man. I've been excited about doing this podcast with you. Oh, it's it's so nice to see you. How how are you keeping as we record this towards the end of 2023? If I was any better, I would need two of me right now, okay? <laughs> I love that. I love that. And you are, so we're recording this now, but you are getting set to come over to the UK uh, for the first time since 1998, when you were here for uh, Capital Carnage, a show that I remember very well for some very surprising, well, two very surprising reasons. I think any fan of the Astrid era will probably remember the same. Um, this time you're coming to Great Britain with a very different goal in mind. What's what's the purpose of your tour in 2024? Well, you know, uh, when I used to come over to the UK, it was always for wrestling where we get to entertain people and and it was just i love going it's the some of the biggest fans in the world are the uk fans and uh but now i'm going over there and sharing my a positive message with students so uh, that they're going through relevant issues uh depression anxiety being bullied or abused self-harm and of course the worst case suicidal thoughts and you know ben before i used to go over there and, and it was great to entertain and in some way i still get to entertain people but at least nobody's hit me over the head with a chair anymore yes you <laughs> at least that not anyway. yeah. <laughs> so how did how did this move come from then from going from being a, a wwf superstar to be, becoming essentially a motivational speaker for young people well, you know, I, I gave you the quick story was after I, I finished wrestling, I went through some really hard times and uh, fell into some dark depression and became to a place in my life where I didn't even want to be here anymore. And uh, there was a, a pivotal moment that happened in my life that uh, where I was going to end it all. But um, I, I, I fell to my knees and I just asked God into my life and everything changed. And, and it's, it's crazy how things happen. You know, um, at that time, I, I lost my, my financial empire through divorce and bad decisions and choices and everything else. And I got a job training people at a Gold's Gym. And I remember how humbling it was because people would come to Gold's Gym and go, oh, my gosh, Mark Merrill, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I, I work here. And they were like always surprised to see me that I went from a wrestler to you know just training people at a Gold's Gym. 
But then I, then I, uh, we, we used to have this thing at the Gold's Gym called the Wall of Fame, where your clients would get on the Wall of Fame if they had really good results. And it was like my clients were all over the wall. So I decided to open up my own personal training facility. And it, it really took off. But then I got a call from a school called Melbourne High School in Melbourne, Florida. And they, all they wanted me to do is come and speak to their football players. And I said, sure, that'd be fun, you know? So I went over and spoke to the kids. And, and next thing I know, I started getting like messages through from, through Facebook mostly back then. And it was like, man, you really changed my life. You really inspired me. And I thought, well, well there's, there's no greater feeling than helping another person. But unbeknownst to me, that school called another school and said, hey, we just had Mark Merrill here. You got to have him talk to your kids. And they had me speak to the whole school. And Ben, it just snowballed from there. And then some of my videos went viral. And uh, next thing I know, I'm traveling all over the world speaking. I've been to Russia, Guatemala, and like, like we're going to the UK this year. We're going to Puerto Rico. Uh, and of course, United States and Canada. Um, I average about 230 events a year. It's a crazy wow. schedule. But, you know, I thought when wrestling was over, I, I remember flying home from the UK thinking I'm going to retire and I'm done, you know. And uh, I thought, man, I don't got to travel no more. I could just be home because so many years of my life were traveling. Remember, I did this for 14 years. And uh, next thing I know, I'm back on the road living out of a hotel again. But wow. I love it. I've never enjoyed anything. You know, it's like finding your purpose in life. And I think God has a plan and a purpose for each and every one of us. And it really showed me that even though I didn't learn until later on in life, I found it and it's been the most incredible experience not only changing lives, but getting so many letters from students and parents that their kid was saved because of the presentation. And you've, you've been doing this since 2007, is that right? This is my 17th year presenting wow, at congratulations. school. I finally get to come to the UK. <laughs> and how, how much have you seen, you know, we're living in a very different time now to 2007. Yeah. And, you know, you, I guess when you started, you were starting when social media was in its very infancy. You kind of mentioned Facebook there. How how different is it now, the issues that young people are facing compared to what they were facing 15 years ago? You know, Ben, I, I wish I could say things are getting so much better. But unfortunately, we are seeing so much, you know, detrimental effects on students, you know. And I'll be honest, our our, our smartphone <laughs> has outsmarted us. I mean, we are seeing so many kids that are addicted to social media. And, and the problem is that they're up all night long scrolling mm -hmm. through TikTok or Instagram or something, and they they don't get the proper sleep, the rest they need, and they always are looking at other people's lives, and they fall into depression. And I'm seeing this over and over again, but I'm also seeing the suicide rates just skyrocketing in in, in America and all over the world. Actually, in the UK, I mean, you guys are experiencing the same issues we are experiencing. And but you know, uh, someone said to me once they go, well, Mark, I mean, you can't save every kid. And I, and I, and I realized that, you know, there's no an old analogy about a little boy walking along the, the, the shore, the ocean, and uh, he sees all these starfish that washed up on shore and he starts throwing them back in. And an old man sees him. He, says, he said, hey, kid, what are you going to do? Save them all? And he picks one up. He throws it back in and he goes, I just saved that one. And I realize I, I can't help every single person out there. But, man, I'll tell you, I'm going to go down fighting, helping as many as I possibly can. When death finds me, it's going to find me living. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, you know, I had to, uh, the thing is, because of that exposure you had through WCW, through WWF, you know, you've got this elevated profile, haven't you? You've got this platform. And there's an opportunity there, as you say, to live this purpose in a way that wouldn't have been offered to you had you not already built such a name for yourself in a world of 
kind of television entertainment. Absolutely. I, I owe so much to my former employees, WCW, WWE, that have gave that gave me this platform, that gave my name a a you know a, a national following and sometimes a worldwide following that many people know who I am. But it's amazing um, walking through airports now and traveling where people say, oh, my gosh, I saw you on social media. I saw your your video. And and because remember, I, I wrestled 20 years ago, over mm. 20 years ago. And um, it's just so nice to see uh, people that recognize me for what I love doing now. Um, I, I only wish the WWE would would work with me in promoting the school program and utilizing it to for their programs and you know mm. bringing more attention to the need we have in, in especially in our country and around the world. It does feel there's a natural alignment there between what you're doing and what they're looking to do with their community outreach work. You would think so, but unfortunately, um, they they have their their own program. Uh, I believe it's Make a Wish or something like that, or, or Be a Star. Be a Star, and, uh, yeah, yeah. And it, it doesn't really share the the whole message that kids need to hear. They don't really get into the depression, the anxiety, the, the they talk they touch on bullying and things like that. But they're they're more like kids are more starstruck because the wrestler might show up at a school and just you know, um, but but they don't really get the full message that's so important. What happens with our program is we get hundreds of messages after our presentation and we go through every message and we look for kids that are, are depressed or going through something detrimental in their life. And then we get those kids the help that they need or we try our best to. And sometimes it's up to the school or a mental health specialist that we rely on to help these these kids. But uh, we've seen like I said, so many kids that lives have been changed or saved because of our program. And uh, uh, I will continue doing it as long as I possibly can. Yeah, well, good, good on you for doing it because, I mean, I'm the father of two boys and, you know, my oldest is 10 and I'm seeing it now. I'm seeing the smartphone addiction. I'm seeing the cyberbullying. I'm We're entrenched in this right now as a family dealing with kind of difficult exchanges on WhatsApp and exclusion and or many of those things that I went through as a, as a young boy. Well, ironically, WWF wrestling was my escape from bullying, but I had that when I was I got home from school at four o'clock in the afternoon and I could at least be safe until the next morning. Whereas now children don't have that. If they're being bullied, that can carry on 24 seven. And as a parent, sometimes I don't really know what to do with that scenario because I haven't lived it. But then there's the other side where I'm also addicted to my smartphone. I try not to be, but I'm addicted to it. I think so many of us are of our generation because it came in. There's never been any rules. These things are designed to hook us and um it's very hard i feel very hypocritical sometimes to him say to say put your phone down when i know what my screen time has been like today and um you know i do i do worry greatly and i just think it's yeah anything we can do to have these open conversations and especially for personalities like yourself to go out there and have these open conversations is is really powerful um one thing that really struck me i've noticed that when you do your talks you're there carrying your intercontinental championship the white the white title which i still think is the best the single best belt design there ever was um it's interesting because obviously you're you're speaking to high school people now as you say you wrestled 20 years ago has the wwe network and the kind of plethora of content that's available now helped in terms of introducing a new generation to who mark mero is and what you're all about back in the day you know, it's funny because a lot of kids uh, go and uh, obviously search my name through 
through Google or something and find old matches of mine. And, and uh, so it has brought a lot of attention to wrestling. Uh, the belt is more used kind of as a prop. Like anytime you get kids to talk about something, like I, I wear an, an Invicta watch, which is really an inexpensive watch, but it's kind of a uh, fancy and kids always will say, Oh my God, I like your watch, but it opens up c- communication conversation. The belt opens up huge conversation because they're like, Oh man, can I put it on or can I wear it or can I hold it? You know? So it, I've continued to always bring out that belt. And I mean, and when the kids look up, the people I had to beat to get that belt, I mean, think about it Owen Hart, uh, Ron Simmons, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Mm. And uh, it becomes like, Oh my gosh, I remember that guy, you know? So um, I, util- I utilize these things as communication uh, props to really open up kids to talking to me and sharing with me maybe something they're going through. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I love sharing, you know, and then they're talking about wrestling and they, they always like, what was it like wrestling The Undertaker or Ric Flair or Stone Cold or Triple H? And it just opens up conversation. Well, the thing is, in your wrestling career, you really bridged multiple kind of you, you, in that brief window of time from say 1990 to 1999 so much changed in the industry didn't you and you you were there throughout all of it and you know from the time you came in in early 91 to you know being there in the heart of the attitude area you saw a lot of change in a very short space of time both culturally and in terms of what the product was and who it appealed to I sure did. You know, I, I was blessed to be, I think it, it being part of wrestling and probably the greatest era thus far, you know, I mean, when we, when I thought about, you know, you, you're sitting in a locker room and there's, you know, uh, Undertaker, Stone Cold, Steve Austin, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, uh, the list goes on and on. And then, you know, of course, WCW would sting and uh, you know, road warriors and guys that are just so incredible. I mean, iconic people in the industry and I got to wrestle with and against them. And uh, I just was so blessed when I, when I look back on this now and think, wow, I, I got to work with all these amazing wrestlers and be a part of this. And it was just incredible. But yes, seeing the change, the, uh, you know, the where it came to, going from WCW, uh, where the good guy wears the white hat to going to WWE, where, where the guy that's got the black hat on is now the good guy, you know, it's crazy. But, but it was it was just amazing, you know, and of course, uh, uh, bringing, you know, my ex-wife with me into the WWE and her seeing her become a, a star was another incredible uh, time in our lives. Um, but it's just so many great memories, you know, and, and also there's there's some sad moments, too, that you look back and, you know, you you wish things could have been different. But uh, man, I have no regrets. I mean, I think about all the paths I took in life led me to right now where I am yeah. talking to you, Ben. And uh, it's just Absolutely. been an incredible journey. And I wouldn't change anything only because I know if something changed, maybe I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what are some of the transferable skills then, Mark, in terms of transitioning from being a sports entertainer to being a motivational speaker? How much has that helped you in this second chapter of your career? You know, I only wish I was as good on the mic back then as I am now. <laughs> you know, I think doing so many presentations, I'm in front of people all the time that, mm. um, and, and and I got to tell this, some people always think, uh, you know, that you don't get nervous anymore. I get nervous at every presentation. I've done thousands of schools now, churches and, and, and corporate events. I still get nervous. And I'm so glad I do, because I think when you're a little nervous, you really try that much harder or you, 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 you want to make it that much better. 
You know, I think when you, you can't just call it in, you can't, you gotta, you gotta be authentic. You've got to go back when I talk about uh, like uh, detrimental things that happened in my life. I have to almost relive those moments so the my audience can feel what I went through and and make the smart choice of not doing them them doing it themselves. So when you do corporate events, then speak speaking to a very different audience. Does, does, is that is that different because presumably you're speaking to an audience that's a bit more informed about who you were in the 90s so lots of poor people kind of my age and of that kind of stage of life does, does that change the narrative in terms of absolutely you know and with corporate events i talk to my peers and so many times as adults we become complacent in life one day becomes the next and we we settle for the status quo where we say things like i wish i would have or i wish i could have or we say things like those were the days Ben, I'm, I'm here to tell you, these are the days. These are the days we learn from past mistakes. We grow in grace and knowledge, and we can accomplish anything we set our minds to if we just put forth the effort. I mean, there's so many of us that have an amazing story that could write a book. You could self-publish a book on, on the internet. You know, you have, uh, start your own business. It's so easy to, to get an LLC and start your own business. You know, it's, but it's got, it's about finding what you really want to do in life, your, your calling, your purpose in life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I tell you, I watched two many of my peers that retire and within a few years they leave us in other words they die because Mm -hmm. they don't have a reason to get up anymore man i tell you i will never retire i'll just refire (laughs) and i want people to see that energy when i'm at a corporate event because i want people to know that every one of us has a purpose you know it's okay to retire but find something you love doing maybe you want to volunteer for for a nonprofit organization maybe you want to help kids whatever it is I found the greatest joy in life is helping another person. There, there's no greater joy. I, I, it's like finding your purpose. You want to be happy? Help someone else be happy. You want to be successful? Help someone else become successful. Given while you're living, so you're knowing where it's going. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah, and it's uh, you're right because one of the hardest things about being an adult wrestling fan who grew up on early to mid '90s wrestling is I've seen so many of my. I guess my heroes and people I watch, you know, either pass early or fall into very ill health. And it's, you know, it's great to see you, you know, DDP, some some of the guys of this, your generation kind of have really embraced the life after wrestling and seem to be living, you know, an even richer life now than you were when you were under the bright lights of WWE. And it's, it's really encouraging. And hopefully it provides a bit of a kind of spotlight in terms of the opportunity that you can have post wrestling if, as you say, you're living with purpose. You know, DDP and I live about 20 minutes apart, so we we are able to see each other, and obviously I work out with them occasionally. And, uh, in fact, uh, we have Thanksgiving coming up here in the United States, and um, we're getting a lot of the old wrestlers together. We're going over DDP's crib and <laughs> having a great Thanksgiving. And uh, we all have so much to be thankful for because so many of us have, you know, been in the ring or wrestled guys that have, have unfortunately passed on, whether to mm-hmm. to. Uh, drug abuse or just bad health or whatever it would be. We are some of the lucky ones that are, that are still, you know, doing well in life. And uh, we're, we're so fortunate and we live with an attitude of gratitude and, and being together, man, we swap old stories and, you know, I've wrestled DDP so many times. I mean, the, the craziest thing that we laugh because we're, they always put us like on an opening of a pay-per-view, you know, and we, we and our thought is we're going to steal the show, man. We're going to yeah. give everything we got. So he was, uh, and he, and we took the same determination into our, 
after wrestling life, you know, with his DDP yoga and all the, all the amazing things that he is doing, helping other people. And uh, of course with my school programs and things that I'm doing, it's uh, we're, we're just, we've just, uh, we get together. It's like, we almost uh, out inspire each other. (laughs) I'd love to be a fly on the wall to you too. Oh my gosh. It's crazy. Uh, he, he asked me, like, when I go over there, I mean, he's got the sawn, he's got the hyperbaric chamber, he's got the, the cryogenic things, he's got the, the yoga. I mean, it's like... Oh, he, he's going to he's gonna outlive me. Yeah, it's like, I'm going there and I'm, I'm like, preparing for uh, close to death, okay? <laughs> he's so competitive still, you know, like, we always have competition, him and I, on who could do the most push-ups, you know, they're called DDPY push-ups, or they're... Uh, uh, 30 seconds, you know, 10 seconds up, hold it 10 seconds down. So it's one push up is 30 seconds. Okay. Mm. And me and him have been this crazy competition for years since we, since we got into wrestling and, you know, he'll get eight, I'll get nine, he'll get 10, I'll get 12. It, it's like back and forth that right now he's holding the title from me. So I got to get it back. <laughs> this episode of Wrestling Life is brought to you in partnership with our friends over at Legacy Sports Nutrition. Take your physical and mental performance to the next level with Test X9, a natural testosterone booster. Clinically proven, Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition is NSF certified, third party lab tested, and made in the US of A. And it's brought to you by friends of the show, three time world champion Nick Aldis and 10 time world champion Mickey James. Nick developed and uses these products himself, so you know they work, and he shows you how over at legacysups.com with links to clinical studies on each of the nine key ingredients. No bull, no bro science, just facts. It's time to level up your strength, energy, libido, and drive now with Test X9 from Legacy Sports Nutrition. And if you want to really level up, go for the ultimate test stack, add in T-Assist, a pro-grade estrogen inhibitor and test enhancer, and the best-selling sleep aid Recovery PM, and discover why improving your sleep is the key to unlocking your mental and physical potential. So stop settling for average. Go to LegacySupps.com now and use the promo code WRESTLINGLIFE for 10% off your entire order. That's promo code WRESTLINGLIFE. And if you subscribe to have it shipped every 30 days, you can still get the discount every single time. So head on over now to LegacySupps.com and level up with Legacy. Oh, I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that you've been able to support one another on your purpose-driven business journeys as well. That you're actually there. You're, do- as you say, you're doing such si- similar things, albeit to slightly different audiences. But the the same purpose is there, really, isn't it? In terms of what you're both trying to do. Amen. You know, friends for life. We'll always be there for each other. Good times and bad times. You know, and obviously, when we lose a a, a friend that we both know, and or the, or someone in the industry, it's it's a very um, monumental thing in our lives because we we realize you know how short this journey is mm-hmm. and uh we're both you know up in our 60s now and uh you know we're in the last couple chapters here you know god willing and uh we want to make we want to make every day count every day i get up with a, with a purpose you know and and you know ben it isn't like bad things don't happen to me or ddp you know it's it's not about the circumstance or situation it's how you respond to it that makes all the difference you know, much of my life, I've always had a horrible response to adverse situations. I was had a bad temper, a foul mouth. I'd throw my phone or get mad or whatever. And still saying that Dr. Phil says, how's that working out for you? Yeah. <laughs> Not good. So I had to make some changes in my life. And it really started with 
with my faith in God and and changing my life. But but even more importantly, helping other people has really gave me the purpose. I have to be honest, talking about wrestlers that are no longer with us, you know, Scott Hall's passing really hit me hard. I, I thought I was immune to a degree after this point. It's become so prevalent over the years. And that one, that one really shook me to the core because Scott had done such an incredible job of turning his life around. And you could see him now successfully live into a ripe old age. And that was that was a hard one. And that's it, just coming, it, it that's really coming was, as a fan, you know. Yeah, he, he also lived real close to me and we'd get together. Uh a bunch of us would always get together, you know, with with, with DDP and uh and and Scott, he just had such a great sense of humor. There, we got pictures of us just sitting there laughing, you know, and then we, we look back at these pictures, you remember so many of the good times, you know. Obviously he he battled his demons and 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 he got through so much in his life, mm. you know. And um uh there was a time where uh, I was picking him up and we'd go to church together, you know, it was just incredible and we got real close, and obviously that one, that one really hurt when when Scott passed on. It's it's hard. It's hard. Um, I wanted to take you back to the the start of your wrestling journey. So you were trained, am I right in saying, by the legendary Malenko family? Yeah, is that right? Boris Malenko. How how was that? Uh, you know, he he was a great guy. I mean. Once you got to know him, I mean, he was so used to people coming and leaving right away because it was, it, it, the training wasn't, wasn't easy, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember one of the things we had to do was we had to, uh, to learn how to fall properly. You, you'd put your cross, your hands, you just fall backwards on, on the mat. And, uh, it was it's kind of scary, like just letting yourself go, you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember hitting that mat the first time I was, I sound like a seal from SeaWorld. <laughs> I was like, ur, ur. I couldn't catch my breath, you know? <laughs> He's like, do it again. <laughs> and, Ooh. But anyways, uh, I stuck it out. And uh, one of the many success stories that came out of uh, Malenko's pro wrestling school, you know, um, Dean and Joe were mostly on the road. But when they came in and uh, just put on some matches in front of us just to show us different things, it was like, how do you ever get to that level? You know, it's like watching them just seamlessly do moves and and. And and know where each other is at all times, and and just the, the 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 how fluent it was, you know. And I was remember just sitting there going, "How do you get to that point?" You know. Mm-hmm. And it just came from from hard work, and not giving up, you know. Just keep going. Like me and me and DDP would WCW had uh, the 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 power plant uh, back in the in the old days, and DDP and I were we were both kind of green, you know. We he started at at, at uh, thirty five years old. I started at thirty one years old. So we were late bloomers, you know. So we'd go down to the the uh, power plant. And we'd we'd work out with each other and try to do the best we could. And we actually became pretty good. We I think we both won like rookie of the year or most improved or, or different things like that, um, just by working out together and helping each other. Do you think that you know you came to the industry fairly late, I guess, by by normal standards at 31? Not not that late, but you know, fairly late, I guess. Um, was that you you were an amateur boxer before and you had a lot of success and yes. the golden gloves tournaments in New York? Was your plan to be a boxer and uh, until you were injured and then you were derailed and wrestling became a, a second avenue, or had you always thought maybe wrestling could be for you? You know, um, and we were little, when we were little kids. My dad uh, took us to the Buffalo War Memorial Auditorium. I was like eight or ten years old, and uh, Bobo Brazil was wrestling the Sheik, the original Sheik. 
And uh, we were sitting up real high because we didn't have the money for good seats, you know. But I remember that the, the, the sheik would pull out a pencil and he was jamming Boba Brazil in the head and Boba Brazil was bleeding all over the place. And I was thinking, I was asking my dad, why aren't the police coming? Why aren't they arresting this guy? I was so terrified, you know, as a little kid. And then fast forward now, I'm wrestling at, uh, I think it was Cobo Arena or Joe Lewis Arena uh, in Detroit. And the original sheik comes backstage to say hello to the boys, you know. And I was like, I had to tell him the story about how petrified I was and how it affected my life. Like thinking, how does someone like this get away with doing something so horrible to somebody and not be arrested, you know? Uh, And he, he just thought that was the greatest story because that's, that's what he loved to do was really to look like that incredible heel that he was. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. But getting back to your your question. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. My, my, my brother and I, uh, we were, we were real poor growing up and we had bunk beds and because we'd, we'd wrestle each other, we broke the bunk beds and we couldn't have it repaired. So we took our two mattresses and, and made a square out of it, looked like a wrestling ring. <laughs> and so we'd wrestle each other. And there was a wrestler back then that we both really liked. His name was Chief White Owl. And he used to do this tomahawk chop. And so me and my brother would be doing this to each other. So as little kids. But here's the funny story is, I don't know if you've seen the video of it, but my brother also wrestled in WCW. He never okay. got to the, to the level I did, but but he was he was very good. He just had a lot of other issues outside the ring. But uh, we got to wrestle each other on national television. He had to wear a mask because he looked too much like me at the time, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and it's still to this day, we have the video of it. Obviously, it was on WCW Saturday night, Johnny B. Bad versus, um, I, I believe it was uh Tony, Tony Vendetta was his, his wrestling name. Okay. And uh, but to wrestle each other and then get in the ring with each other and go to lock up and have those flashbacks of us wrestling on our mattresses that were out, were there because of the broken bunk bed. It was just incredible. Oh, that's pretty that probably living a bit of a dream, really, for you too. To, it, it really to was. There. And I gotta share one more with you that was like a real deja vu moment. Okay. When I was younger, obviously we we watched Ric Flair on on television and uh we love watching the wrestling on television as kids and and rick flair you know he did used to do this thing where he put his, his put his hands out like this and you go to grab him and he goes woo, woo. You know? yep. so here i am wrestling rick flair uh it's the european cup and i'm wrestling rick flair in the european cup and i never wrestled before and of course rick flair doesn't talk about the matches beforehand you know you just go out in the ring and i'm here i am so green and nervous as heck because i'm wrestling a legend, you know, Ric Flair. And he doesn't even talk about the match. So don't worry, I'll call in the ring. I'll tell you what to do, you know? And not only did he make me look like a million dollars, like I was just kicking his butt, you know? He, so the match starts and he puts his hands out and I don't think nothing of it. I thought he wanted to like do like a, maybe a test of strength or something where he turned it around or I didn't really know. So I go to grab his hands and he does that. Woo! And I get the flashback. And when I was a little kid watching him on television, I go, wow, I knew this would happen someday, you know, just wow. incredible. So many, like when we talk about this, I, you can see, I, I get so excited because of the memories I have that I cherish from so many of the good moments that I had in professional wrestling. Yeah. And I do too, because I mean, just listening to this, I mean, this is, this is what I've been in love with for 35 years of my life. And this is exactly why I have this podcast to, to, to remember some of these special moments. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by someone like Ric Flair. You say he doesn't, you, you know, you don't, you don't work the match out, but you at least go out there with a finish. Does he call the finish? Like, oh yeah, we, we knew the finish, obviously. Yeah, but that's, that's it. Knew, but everything that's else all you is, need to know is what what is a finish, and he'll take care of the whole thing. So do you know? Do you know finish and so time, cool. and that's it. You know, yeah, I mean, he had there. me reverse his figure four leg lock on him. He wow. did all these amazing things, and 
people really thought I was going to beat Ric Flair, you know, Johnny B. Bad was just starting out with WCW is wrestling the legend. And he was just bumped all over the ring for me. And, you know, he does all those crazy bumps and uh, over the top rope, you know, clothesline him, everything. And I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this is like the easiest match I've ever had. He's telling me everything. I didn't, it's like, it's like he gave me a list of things to do. <laughs> just do them, you know, but yeah. he, he called everything in the ring, which was so incredible. And, and it, that kind of shows that kind of selfless act that is kind of part of wrestling, isn't it? It's what I love about professional wrestling is actually it is this real uh, part of kind of giving to one another. Not only are you kind of giving your giving your bodies and your your safety and your health to someone else, which is a, a huge sacrifice and trust piece, isn't it? But also, as you say, someone like a Ric Flair or a Bret Hart, you know, have that real skill to just make the other person look incredible. And in doing so, they look like a champion themselves. There's 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 quite a few others like um, the the three guys I probably wrestled the most were um, uh, DDP, um, uh, Triple H, and Stone Cold Steve Austin. Especially Stone Cold because we were in WCW and WWE together. You know, we both went over the, around the same time, and so we were together all those years. So we've had so many matches against each other. But he was another gifted um, performer that can just make you look like a million bucks. And um, just, I, I just loved wrestling. Those guys were just some of my favorites to wrestle. But uh, one of the greatest matches I ever had was against uh, um, Flying Brian, Brian Pillman. Uh, he's another one that was just an incredible performer. Mm. It must have been fascinating as well watching um, Steve Austin because you've been with him for so long and, you know, he'd been very much in that mid-card role. And then you were there when he just, blew up almost overnight you were part of that king of a ring 1996 the famous yeah he actually i did his podcast and he actually um complimented me that it wasn't for me he went to come up with stone with with austin 316 because i kicked him in the mouth and gave him stitches and he tells a story but he had to go to the hospital and he would never have had the time to get the word about what uh um jake said about uh you know the bible and so on so uh uh but he's not sending any royalties yet (laughs) <laughs> they're in the mail um, he's, he's another guy that i'm just so so proud to see him make it and i want to share something that may maybe maybe will help younger wrestlers um one of the things i always notice about uh a, a couple guys stone cold steve austin and uh diamond Dallas page guys like that that what they would do is um every match i always would see stone cold at the curtain watching the performers and I was like, man, this guy watches every single match. Or DDP would bring his tripod and put a camera up and videotape his matches or or other matches. And, um, it, you know, I was on the card a little earlier, so I would always leave early, you know, and just I wouldn't watch the rest of the matches. And when I look back on my on my career, I think about how much better I could have been if I would have learned more like a Stone Cold Steve Austin or a DDP that watched the matches and watched their own matches and become such um, amazing performers. Um, so it's so, because what happened, what would happen is Stone Cold would watch other performers and he'd realize what they're good at, what moves they're really good at. And he would take moves that I could do and he made me look like a million bucks. And uh, it was from studying my matches. And uh, and there's no, there, if anyone deserves to get to, to go to where he went to, it's it's Stone Cold Steve Austin. And that's, you know, that's that's a big thing to say, because, I mean, you were a very, you know, you had a very successful career in your own right, Mark, and you were also very ahead of your time. I mean, I remember I remember seeing you do the, the shooting star press. And I was like, 
what is that like you know that just that just kind of blew my mind I mean um you know you you really kind of fused a lot of styles into what you brought to the ring um just kind of going back I want to just ask about kind of Johnny B Bad which was one of the first characters that I really fell in love with as a as a young wrestling fan where did that character come from I, I've heard that that was a, a a bit of a Dusty Rhodes invention is that right was yeah, that a fusion uh, of you and Dusty oh my gosh you know Dusty Rhodes was my mentor um Everything. Look out of my life, man. If I never met Dusty Rhodes, I didn't know where would I where would I have ended up in life. You know, uh, what happened was um, I was wrestling. Uh, my first match was like against uh, the tag team Doom, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, the world tag team champions at the time. They're putting me, this green kid that don't even know how to wrestle. I'm that's just that's basically a tough first match, isn't it? Yes, scared me to death, <laughs> man. You know. And uh, anyways, I, I messed up a spot in the match and. Uh, um, I, I, what happened was they, they pinned me and I got out of the ring too fast where you're supposed to just lay there, you know, mm. where, but I thought because of TV, I had to get out of the ring. I don't know what I was thinking, but anyways, um, so after the match, they said, Dusty needs to see you. And I'm thinking, oh, I just blew my chance of ever coming back, you know? And I go, Hey, Dusty. So soon I saw him go, Hey, Dusty, I'm really sorry about it. He goes, Oh, I don't care about that. He goes, kid, anybody ever tell you, you look like little Richard. And I thought he meant like a wrestler. And I go, I, who's little Richard? He goes, you don't know little Richard, a bump, bump, a loop, bump, a wop, bop, boo. And I go, oh, the singer, little Richard. And I said, I never heard that before. He goes, I think I got a gimmick for you. And my whole life changed, man. It was an incredible journey through Dusty Rhodes. But I, I got to tell you, that the, the, um, the greatest thing about being Johnny Be Bad was that Dusty Rhodes would meet me before the matches and he would show me how to walk and talk and act. And he said, no, 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 go to the ring. I want you to grab the microphone and go, I'm so pretty. I should have been born a little girl. <laughs> and I would get laughing so hard because that was so out of who I was, you know? Yeah. But I would do it with Dustin. He goes, no, no, do it like this. And he'd show me how to talk. And you know, I'm a bad man. I'm so pretty. You know, I love the rock and roll, strut and stroll. And I'm here to drive you out of control because I'm a bad man. And so <laughs> Dusty would work it with me on these things you know i'm so outrageous it's contagious <laughs> and we would get laughing and he'd say you got it you got it that's the way i want you to do it and next thing you know he's got all his makeup on me and lipstick and eyeliner i'm like damn <laughs> but you know what some of the greatest memories i ever had my favorite time in wrestling was the character johnny b bat and it, and it really caught on. It really evolved, didn't it? And as you say, like there was so many layers to it. But then it didn't also stop the fact that you were having some incredible matches. And you know, you were very much that kind of key example. I think of what was also what was so great about WCW, but what was also its undoing was very much the fact that the mid card was so much stronger often than the top of the card, and it was it was held together by this you know key group, as you said, DDP yourself. Scott Hall, Steve Austin, you know, all these these talents that you're mentioning who just went out and had, you know, fantastic matches. Um, and and then obviously you'd go to, you'd see a lot of these talents a few years later go to WWF and suddenly that mid-card talent had become the top tier of talent. And it was a fascinating time in that evolution of people like yourself and Steve Austin and, and Triple H who all had one spot when it came to WCW, but then how you managed to transfer that over when you came to WWF. There was so much talent there that was, um, you know, when you look back, you say it was misused or wasn't properly utilized or whatever. But, man, there's so many guys that went on to really do great things mm. in, in the business, and, including, 
That's that's my dog. <laughs> I got this. I got this little Morky, Maltese Yorkie, okay, that thinks he's King Kong, okay? So yep. right now he sees a squirrel or something out in the backyard. And, of course, he's got to go tear him up. Just so you know. Don't worry, I've got one of those. He's <laughs> 0987 on catching squirrels, okay? so <laughs> Sounds so like mine. He's up, mine's okay. off like a rocket if he ever sees one at the window. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Hey, Rocco, Rocco, come here, Rocco. Come here, boy, come here. All right, quiet him down a little bit. <laughs> But, so so when, when you moved over to um, WWF, I know you can carry over the Johnny B. Bad character because WCW owned the rights to that character. Right. But was there discussion? Because when you when you debuted Wildman Mark Mero, you know, A, it's your real name, um, which I'm sure is great for you as a performer, because obviously suddenly your real name has so much more credence in the world after wrestling. But was the discussions to bring over a Johnny B. Bad-esque character and have you play that very flamboyant or was it time to strategically become more serious because you had your eyes on a, on a main event run? I think at the time Vince thought we could do something similar, you know, I mean, we, we knew we couldn't use the name Johnny B. Bad, obviously, but um, so when there were discussions on what we were going to do, I think when the realization came that they weren't going to be able to get a Johnny B. Bad character because lawsuits were going back and forth that time. I don't know if you remember that, but there was mm-hmm. a lot of lawsuits. So they wanted to be careful. So creative came up with this character, wild man, Mark Merrill. And I'll be honest with you. I was, it was, I, I, I was going to do anything it took to obviously please the company. And they gave me the first guaranteed contract, a big signing bonus. Right. And they allowed me to bring my, my, my ex-wife with me, uh, on the road. And so they gave me all these perks, you know, and something, and I'm not going to argue with them about, you know, so when, when we went down and sat in creative and I seen the pictures, they said, we would come with this character, wild man, Mark Merrill. And I'm thinking, what is a wild man? You know, I'm going from Johnny to bed, this flamboyant uh, guy from Macon, Georgia, you know, to uh, this wild man from the jungle. And Vince said to me in the meeting, he goes, can you do like a, like a, like a Tarzan yell? And I said, and I don't got a very strong voice. You know, I'm not like a, a like a Ric Flair or Sting or someone. Um, and I said, I really don't have a strong voice to do like a, whatever they wanted, you know. So though I never, I'd be really honest, I never really connected with the wild man Mark Merrill mm. character. And unfortunately, because you don't connect with it, the fans don't really connect with it. You know, they connected with Johnny B. because it was so much fun. They go out there with a bad blaster, throwing Frisbees, you know, having good matches. And uh, then going to this, this character, uh, Wildman Mark Merrill, was very difficult. It's Ben Bill here, host of Wrestling Life. This show is all about real talk from the talented individuals who shaped wrestling's past, present and future. And when it comes to honouring wrestling's past, I have to give a quick shout out to the great team and our friends at BigBlueCage.com. Big Blue Cage Wrestling Store is your one-stop online shop for some truly awesome wrestling gear. Big Blue Cage's replica championship belts include the very best designs from the Golden Era, New Generation and the Attitude Era, including the much-beloved Winged Eagle belt, the iconic Intercontinental Championship, which in my humble opinion is the greatest belt design of all time, the Attitude Era Big Eagle and even the Big Gold belt, all available either in CNC or deep hand-etched plates and with real leather straps. And that's not all. Big Blue Cage are also the exclusive stockists of other old school items that I absolutely love, including WWF, 
WCW and old school Hasbro sock sets and the one accessory that every wrestling fan's car needs, Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage wiper blades, it's time for the Mega Powers to explode once again. With UK and worldwide delivery options available and custom designs accepted, head on over now to BigBlueCage.com. So yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you're right, because for me, I mean, I'd watched you in Johnny B. Bad. I was really excited about you coming over to the WWF. And then for me, the character didn't ever really click. I mean, you had, as you say, you had a good run. Obviously, you know, you won that Intercontinental title tournament and had a had a good stint before your character was repackaged. But I, but I think you're, you're right. There was something about that character that maybe didn't quite fit in. It almost was like it was coming from that kind of early 90s, piece where everyone had to be like a vocational character or something larger than life but then it was a bit of a mishmash with the fact that you were using your real name it was almost like they didn't quite understand what they were getting with you yeah it was a it was a really confusing and um tough time too because remember it, it was really difficult also because being the first wrestler to get a guaranteed contract it didn't sit well with a lot of guys remember stone cold steve austin triple h and a few other guys went right before me. They didn't. They didn't get nothing. Mick Foley, uh, they didn't. They got just, you know, an opportunity. And uh, so there was a there was a lot of hard feelings. I never really realized it back then as much as I did later on, uh, when people started talking about it and you know talking about uh, different things about me. And and uh, um, and I realized that wow, I could see why a lot of guys didn't want to work with me or 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 help me. You know, because um, you, you can't get a, you can't move up the ladder unless guys are letting you or yeah. allowing you to 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 work with them properly. But if someone doesn't want to work with you, they can make you look really bad. And it was a tough time, you know. But um, like I said, uh, in life, no regrets, man. It's just uh, part of life. You know, you learn so much from adversity in life. You know, through our struggles, we find our strength, and and it's really helped me in many other areas of my life. I mean, I really liked, you know, when you were repackaged, so you came out with your engine and you came back and you were marvellous Mark Mero and you were this fusion of, um, you know, the amateur boxer. And it seemed like it was playing much to your, obviously you came back as a heel um, and there was all the things with Sable and, you know, it's a very different character, different package. But how was how was that kind of second run that you had with WWF where you were well, you know, a it, real character? It, it, it was really fun because, you know, I, the, the idea was to get my, you know, Sable over. In a, in a way, you know, uh, where, you know, she she always comes out on top. I put her in a reindeer costume during Christmas and she strips off. She's got a bikini on, you know, I'd uh, uh, all different things that I would make her put in a potato sack, you know, and yeah. she'd rip it off. She's got a bikini on. And so it was always playing to the fans of always making me me look bad. But remember something, this was a planned thing. We worked with uh, Vince Russo back then and we would be laughing about the things we had coming up, you know, but. Remember back then, then it was incredible because her, her popularity was so, was getting so big. She was selling second, her merchandise was selling second to only Stone Cold Steve Austin at that time. And uh, it was just an incredible time. And they're backing up the Brinks truck at our house. So why I'm getting a guaranteed contract. So whether I win or lose, I'm getting paid the same. And of course her popularity is skyrocketing at this time. But when I, when I look back and realized how it hurt me as a wrestler, for example, um, we did one thing where I allowed her to sable bomb me, you know, power bomb me. Remember that? And, uh, I was getting ready to work a program with Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
you know, so they're moving me right up the the the, the ladder there. Um, and uh, Stone Cold, after seeing that, he wouldn't work with me. And rightfully understand it now from his point of view, if a girl can beat him up, who's well, Stone Cold is the top guy. Why would he even bother with someone like that, you know? So understanding that. But back then, like I said, I wouldn't change anything because we we did we did very well. Um, and the, 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 her, getting her character over was my main thing, was my main um thing I wanted to do back then. And it, and it worked uh, miraculously. When you left WWE or WWF at the time um, and you stepped away for a few years, you came back to, to TNA and you were able to re reprise the Johnny B. Bad gimmick for, for a period. How, what was it like having, that was very early in TNA's trajectory, I guess. What what was that experience like having been in WWF before? It was, I had such, you know, I, first of all, I had uh, cut all my hair off. You know, I looked much different than I did as a Johnny B. Bad character from years before. And, um, uh, it, you know, it was fun to go back, you know, but it, it was, uh, it wasn't the same. It just didn't have the same feeling. Um, enjoyed it while I did. I didn't do it very long at, at TNA. And then, of course, Hulk Hogan started the XWF. I did that for a little while with him. And the good thing about that place was I, I got to wrestle um, um, Mr. Perfect, man. And, you know, he was one of the greatest of all time, you know, Kurt mm-hmm. Henning. And uh, so I had a, a great match with him. And uh, uh, so good, some good memories there also. But um, I, I had my last match in 2006. Uh, it was a tag team uh, against um, uh, the Blue Meanie and Norman Smiley. And that was my last match and uh, left it as a winner and um, have just transitioned and enjoyed my life so much now. Did you know that you were retiring then? Did any, anything force your hand or was it just the right time to step away? No, you know, I, I've had I've had many surgeries, uh, like any wrestler. I mean, any guy that's been in the business for a period of time is going to tell you their, their uh, surgery stories. But I had total reconstruction of my knee, five elbow surgeries, five shoulder surgeries. Um, uh, you know, and of course, I had my valve replaced in my heart and uh, they, they had to redo my aorta. Uh, so I had major open heart surgery. Um, you know, I've had a lot of, lot of stuff, but, um, I gotta tell you, I, I feel like a, a, a kid again. I'm, I'm going to be, uh, I'm 63, going to be 64 in the summer. And, uh, I just feel amazing. And I think these kids keep me young, man, going to these schools and I have a lot of laughter in my life and, and also a lot of heartache, but, but that's life. You know, we go through our, 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 it's a roller coaster. You go through your ups and downs. And like I said earlier, it's how you respond to it that makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So so what can some of our young people over here in the UK expect to receive them when you when you come over and bring your tour to us? Well, the one thing I really hope is that schools give me a little extra time after the presentation to meet with students. That's actually my favorite time because we identify kids that are really um, – you know, going through some tough times. And those are the kids that we, we, we come there for. And of course, when I get my messages from the students, we we go through those. But um, uh, obviously, I want kids to know that they're not alone. And, and, you know, we all go through adversity. We all go through storms in life. And some storms you could just walk through. Some storms you got to run through. But there are storms that come in all of our lives that we got to hold on with everything we got. Don't give up and don't ever quit. Because after every storm, the sun will eventually shine and it's going to be brighter than you could ever imagine. You know, when I was in my deepest depression of my life where I where I wanted to end it all, and I got through that. And every day I wake up 
I look up and I'm just so thankful I didn't end my life. I never would have known all the beautiful things that were to come in life. New friendships, um, new love, new happiness, new joy, the purpose I have now in life. And no matter what you're going through, I'm speaking to anyone out there that's going through adversity or feel like giving up, please hang in there, man. I, I got to tell you, you have no idea how quickly you could turn around and how many good things will come in your life. And all of a sudden, it's almost like someone's assigned in your life and they come in and everything changes. You find that love, you find that that that, that person or, or the people in your life that just makes such a difference. Just don't ever give up. Do you have any advice for parents of young people who where where maybe then but they're they're like like i've seen seeing their children struggling with bullying or low self-esteem or depression do you have any advice for how parents can help their young people yes communication is paramount you've got to start talking more with your kids you know so many kids just go up to their room and tune out and put earbuds in listen to music or watch you know scroll through their phones or whatever but you have to be number one. Instead of being their best friend, be their best parent. You know, you've got, there's got there's got to be boundaries in life, and we've we've opened those boundaries so far now. And when I say boundaries, you know, start having you know meals or dinners with your kids and. and Put phones away, turn them off, get them out of the, get them out of the room, you know? And that, and that goes for parents too. So many parents sit there with their phone right at the dinner table. Or, you know, I, I went out to eat the other day and we were at a restaurant and there was a, uh, parents with, with, they had like three or four kids and they're all around this big round table. And every one of them was on, um, uh, their cell phone or earbuds in. You go out to dinner to communicate, talk with each other. And all you're doing is caring about these people that you'll, you'll never even, maybe even see in your life. You know, we often take for granted the very things in life we should appreciate. And unfortunately, sometimes it's at the expense of our own families, because when you leave this earth and you're on your deathbed, you are not going to care how many followers you had. You aren't going to care what someone said about you on social media. You are going to ask for your loved ones. Why not ask for them now and spend time with them now? Time is the most precious gift we can ever have. And um, I just, really really reach out to people and let them know how valuable life is gosh well i think that feels like a a fitting note to finish on because i'm not sure how we top that really mark (laughs) other than to say you know thank you thank you for all the memories you gave us in the ring but more so thank you for what you're doing now i mean what 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 more do you hope to accomplish 17 years in with with champion of choices you know, if I can continue doing exactly what I'm doing, making a difference in other people's lives, whether it's the students or their parents or churches or corporations, and let the love and light of Christ shine through me in, in, in every way. But I, I love what I do. I love meeting people. Oh, my gosh. It's one of my favorite things. Is And um, getting ready to come over to the UK, I cannot wait to uh, meet friends and, and at the autograph signings, fans that maybe saw me back when I was a wrestler. But uh, most importantly, uh, getting into the UK schools and um, and making a difference and where where you could say something or do something that some will remember the rest of their life and also pass it on. Our, my legacy is not going to be um, how good of a wrestler I was or bad of a wrestler I was. It wasn't going to be how much money I had or how big my house was or what kind of car I drove. My legacy is going to be the difference I made in another person's life. And that's what I care about. You are all over social media, Mark. Where can my listeners today keep in touch with what you're doing? 
Uh, well, I'm uh, like you said, I'm all over. I'm TikTok, uh, Instagram. You just got to type in my name, Mark, M-A-R-C-M-E-R-O, and you'll find me on all the different platforms. And you're welcome to direct message me. Um, and uh, and if you have a school in the UK that'd be interested in me coming, please get in touch with us. Uh, we would love to hear from you. I'd love to come to your school and um, love to meet you. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mike. Really appreciate you coming on and best man, of you luck. Are, you, you are awesome, man. Thank you so much. I can't wait to meet you in person too. We will make that happen next year. All right. So thank you everyone for joining me today. That is it for another Wrestling Life. Thank you to my brilliant guest, Mark Mero. Thank you to my producer, Jeff Easton from Tall Lake Productions. Thank you to all of you for taking the time to join us today. We'll be back soon with more talk from Real Talent, Real Talk from Real Talent rather, So in the meantime, be good to each other. I'll see you soon.